couple prayer requests before we we begin. Pastor Joe hasn't been here for a little while. A little bit, everyone's a little bit concerned. Uh, you know, he had a minor procedure uh, about a week ago, and the doctors gave him a recovery time, and it's taken a little longer than uh, it normally takes to uh, recover. So. He's taking his time. He's doing well. You know, he, he misses everybody, but he looks forward to being back real soon. Thank you for your prayers. Continue to pray for him and Kathy. Also pray for uh, my cousin Leticia. Her, she, she had a, uh, a really close relationship uh, with one of her coworkers, and he was like a dad to her. So she asked to pray for the, the, the Kuntz family. And... Uh, also pray for Richard Ramos. Richard Ramos is in the hospital. Uh, his condition was getting better over the weekend. And then all of a sudden, uh, we got a, a phone call uh, saying that he is now in critical condition, but stable. So keep Richard and, and Belen and Thelma and L Richard Jr. in your prayers and the whole family. Uh, you know what? Let's pray for them right now. Father, we love you, Lord. And Father, we do uh, come be see seeking you, Lord. For a touch of your spirit, Lord, minister to Richard, Lord, as he's in the hospital. May he get the best of care, Father, from the nurses and the doctor, Lord. And Father, just continue to just minister to his mind, his heart, Lord, as as he's there in the hospital and in ICU, Lord. And Father, your hand is not short, Lord, but also we pray for Belen and, and the family or that you would continue to keep them safe and and minister to their hearts and minds. Lord, do a, a great work of your spirit there in the family. I pray for my cousin Letitia and, and her friend's family, Lord. We pray, Father, that you administer to them. And, Father, we thank you for our pastor, Lord. We ask that you would bless him, Father, that he would get back on track to where he loves to be in your house, serving your people, Lord. So we ask that the recovery would uh, come quickly, Lord. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bible, Proverbs chapter 14, and we're going to be covering uh, verses 1 through 12 this evening. I mentioned before that Proverbs is a book that uses poetic language or very pictorial language. Uh, the Hebrew language is written in different genres. So, you know, when you're approaching the Bible, you'll you'll come across different genres in the Bible. Uh, a genre is a category of artistic composition, like music or literature. It's, it's, uh, it's characterized by similarities, form, style, or subject matter. You know, we have a great example in music, you know, like, like we have the genre of country music or metal or classic rock or R&B or Christian contemporary. So it kind of gives you a, dip, uh, a, a sense of what it's, where it's coming from, but it's all music, right? So the Bible, too, is God's word, but it's written in a way uh, as Hebrew. The Hebrew language is written in different genres. And I got a few examples. If you look at uh, Psalms chapter 91, verse 4, uh, God speaking, it says, he shall cover you with his feathers and under his wings, you shall take refuge. His truth shall be like a shield 
and a buckler. So the shield and buckler are not actually a, uh, a shield. You know, it's, it's kind of like a, uh, a picture so that you could understand uh, or so that we could grasp what the meaning is. Uh, we also see Jesus saying the same thing in like fashion. You remember when Jesus was trying to get the attention of the people in Matthew chapter 23, verse 37. Remember Jesus right before he was going to the cross. He said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who stoned the prophets who were sent to her. How often I wanted to gather you like a hen gathers her children under her wings, but you were not willing You are not willing. So again, very pictorial language. So God is not a bird described as described here in Psalms 91, nor is Jesus claiming to be a chicken. You know, that's it's it's that would be absurd. So there's a common uh, misinterpretation when we take things out of context. So Proverbs is considered a book of wisdom and it still uses very pictorial language. So keep this in mind as we look through verses 1 through 3 this evening. It says, A wise woman builds her house, but a foolish woman pulls it down with her hands. He who walks in his uprightness fears the Lord. But he who is perverse in his way despises him. In the mouth of the fool is the rod of pride, but the lips of the wise. I'm sorry, I will preserve them. I'm sorry, typo. Um, Okay, one of the things is, again, remember, it's pictorial language here. So when it's speaking of a woman, it's not necessarily saying the woman is tearing down the house or building up the house. but we are called as Christians to build each other up. We're called to tear, not tear each other down. Um, and here, ladies' hands are seen as delicate or caring, you know, nurturing and taking care uh, of something very delicate and very precious. So that's the way we should approach uh, building each other up. Very delicate, very caring and, in a caring way. However, here it doesn't, uh, it doesn't, it means it doesn't take a lot of strength to tear things down as well. You know, with, with simple words, we could destroy people. So we really got to be careful how and, and the approach of how we talk. So we don't often see a lot of ladies in the demolition area of, of industry or construction. So Proverbs here is is making a point to be careful. Be careful with people. Be very delicate. Be very caring and build people up is what the proverb is trying to convey to us. So God's wisdom here is always the key for us to build each other up. God's word will build you up. If you read God's word, it will build you up spiritually. You remember Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 27. Jesus says, not as he was speaking about salvation, because a lot of people have this idea that they have a relationship with God. A lot of people have this idea that, 
one day when they die, wishful thinking that they're going to go to heaven by different reasons, by what they do, you know, how religious they are, how they, they believe that they're good people and that God, how can God uh, send anybody to hell? So Jesus speaking on this subject here in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 27, Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my father in heaven. Verse 22 of Matthew chapter 7 says, many will say on that day, what day? Judgment day. The day when we put off skin and we stand in the presence of the Lord. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27 says that it is appointed for man to die once, then comes the judgment. So Jesus speaking on that day of, of that day, he said, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name or cast out demons in your name? Or have we not done many wonders in your name? And Jesus said, I will declare to them, I never knew you depart from me. You who practice lawlessness. So Jesus speaking that there's two problems. Number one, we don't have a personal relationship with God. We need to have a personal relationship with God. Ours. We're not going to grow spiritually. Number two, we practice lawlessness. Lawlessness is making a line in the sand and simply stepping over that line. I understand God's ways, God has a standard, and I'm willfully stepping over. Jesus says, that's two problems. So we need to check our hearts. But in the context, he says, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on a rock. So Jesus is saying that whoever hears my words and applies them to their life, is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. And he continues to say, and the rains descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. And it did not, and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. He's the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine, Jesus says, and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand and the rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall. So for a Christian to be built up, we need to be built up spiritually and by the word of God. When we listen and we apply it to our lives, we will grow spiritually. But first we have to, the most important thing is we have to have a relationship with him. So Proverbs here is making the case that walking in God's wisdom produces inward humility. If I'm listening to God and I have a right perspective of God, it's going to cause me to be humble. Why? Because one day I'm going to have to give an account to God for every word and every deed. So it says here wisdom or applying God's wisdom will produce humility and reverence towards God, towards our Lord. But the contrast, it says, he who is, a, who is perverse in his ways despises him. He who is perverse in his ways despises him. So when I'm not walking in God's ways, 
I will tend to despise God. And how will I despise God? By rejecting his ways. The word despise here is a word to hold in contempt or to disdain. It is a strong word describing a strong dislike, a disrespect or disapproval. A lot of people do not have, uh, don't like God's word and they disapprove. They want to live their own way. And you know what? God will say, go ahead. You want to have your own way? You can live your own way. But there are consequences in the end. But here it says the mouth of the the mouth of a fool is the rod of pride. The, the mouth of the fool is a mouth as a rod of pride. In other words, a fool's proud talk will eventually be a rod that beats him or punishes him. In other words, you're going to have to pay a price on judgment day. You know, you can be foolish with your your pride in your mouth and the way you talk against God, but one day it's going to uh you're going to have to pay judgment for it. But here it says, but the lips of the wise will preserve them. The lips of the wise will preserve them. The words of the wise will, if we take wise words, God's words, they will provide for us safety. Safety when we apply them to our lives. Verse 4 says, "Where where, where no oxen are, the throw is clean, but in much increase comes the strength of the ox. So in other words, it says without oxen in the stable, it'll stay clean. You know, we don't, we don't you put these oxen in a stable uh, and it's going to get dirty. But if there's no oxen in the stable, it's going to stay clean. So this is very picturesque without dealing with uh, stubborn and difficult things. Nothing's going to change. If I don't deal with the stubborn and difficult things in my life, nothing's going to change. You, you see, it might get messy dealing with the stinky smelling dung or the garbage or the waste of my life. Because there are things in my life that need to change. But if they're not addressed, nothing will change. Nothing will change. If I'm not honest, what's going on in here? Nothing's going to change. In other words, I I ignore uh, certain areas. Verse 5 says, A faithful witness does not lie, but a false witness utters lies. So, as Christians, we're called to be faithful and never result to lying. Because there's always consequences to lying. I use the scale of consequence in my class that I taught last year. There's a scale of consequence. If I lie to my daughter and she finds out, there are consequences. She's, she's not going to trust me no more. Maybe she'll pick up some bad habits. But if I lie to my wife, there are also consequences. Maybe I'll be on the couch. You know, uh, maybe I won't eat supper or, you know, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll get banished for a little while. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll see the scorn on her, on her brow. You know, there are consequences to lying. There are also consequences. What if I'm lying to Pastor Joe? You know, he's my boss. What if I lie to Pastor Joe and he finds out? What could he do? He could fire me, right? There are consequences to lying. What if I lie 
on my taxes and I, and I fudge the numbers. And then, you know, I get audited and, and the, the tax man comes and they, what could happen to me? I could go to jail, you know, tax fraud. You know, I get magazines that show pastors going to, going to prison for tax fraud. Uh, and so, you know, so it's the same sin. It's lying. But you see, the person I offended, I, I offended, I lied to my daughter. The consequences are here. If I lie to my wife, the consequences are here. If I lie to my boss, man, and if I lie to the government, I'm going to jail. But we have to understand something as Christians, as people. When we lie, we're lying against the lawgiver. There's somebody who gave us that law. Don't lie. We're actually offending him. The the consequences for lying are eternal. The punishment has to fit the crime. If I lie to my daughter, the crime is shame. If I lie to my wife, the, the crime is scorn or banishment. The, cry, the crime of lying to my boss is being fired, losing income. The consequence of lying to my government, I could go to jail. But the consequences of lying to God are eternal. Why? Because of the one I have offended. God is eternal. Therefore, the punishment is eternal. There, there's equal justice. So lying is not a good thing. So we have to understand that when we lie, we're actually lying towards God. It, 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 it's not going to benefit us. Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 44, you are, he told the religious people at that time, you are of your father, the devil, and the desires of the father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. And when he speaks lies, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Wow. Man, Jesus sees lying that bad. So for me to be a Christian and lie, it's not a good thing. You know, I'm, I'm breaking God's law. So you understand, you have to understand how grievous sin is towards God. You know, God is holy and therefore hates lying. Verse 6 says, A scoffer seeks wisdom and does not find it. But knowledge is easy to him who understands. A scoffer is one who is self-inflated. He who does not find it gets frustrated. And a, a lot of people have this approach. Uh, oh, let me see the Bible. I want to see if this is truth. And they come in a scoffle way. If you're really seeking truth, God will show himself to you. Miraculously, he will open your eyes and you will see him if you're really seeking him. There's a story that I was told when I was uh, in Bible college. It was a story of a missionary who, who, whose heart was wanting to go out and minister to people. And he wanted to go out into this area where tribes were very primitive. They, they had very uh, limited contact to, uh, to, the, to the outside world. And in this culture that where he wanted to go, there, there was a family, you know, from time past, they would make idols. And so 
they would make these idols, and one day, this guy who made the idols said, this is kind of foolish that I'm making idols. I, you know, all the tribe is worshiping these idols. So what he would do is, from generation to generation to generation, they would pass down this, this uh, idol making. And so he started making the idol, and he came to this realization, man, some, this, is, this is foolish. I get the wood, I cut the wood, I carve it up, and here we're worshiping it. And I'm fashioning it with my hands. So the idol maker says, I ain't going to make them no more. And so the tribe is it's getting crazy. They're, 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 they're upset. They want their, their idol maker to make them their gods. And he says, no, I'm not going to make it no more. It's just foolish because, you know, I'm making them with my hands. And he says to the people, I want to know the God who made my hands. And this is a guy in the tribe in New Guinea. He never heard the gospel before. He never heard about Jesus before. But he desired to know God. And the story goes as uh, one day the, the, the missionary goes in. And this tribe was very hostile. They would kill you. They would eat you. And so he had a guy taking him in. And then the natives found him. The, the, that tribe found him. They captured them. And they were going to kill them. They were going to kill him and his interpreter for coming in there. And through the interpreter, because they had some limited knowledge of the outside, they had a person who could translate. They asked him, why are you here? They told the missionary, why are you here? And the missionary didn't know what to say. He was kind of confused. And... They said, come on, we want to know why are, you he- why are you here? What are your intentions? And he tells them, the God who made my hands has sent me to you. And wow, they were blown away. And the Lord ministered to those people. He changed hearts. So if we're really seeking God, we will find him. But if we have a, a critical heart or a heart that... Uh, that scoffs we're not going to enjoy god's wisdom we're not going to find the knowledge that god has for us so a scoffer is one who is self-inflated and one who 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 seeks but gets frustrated as paul said in first corinthians chapter 2 verses 1 through 16 paul said and i brethren i came to you not with excellence of speech of wisdom declaring the testimony of god For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear, speaking of reverence, and in much trembling in my speech. My preaching was not in persuasive words of human wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit and power. That your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor the, of the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. The hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the ages of our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. They were very smart, but they didn't know. 
For if they had known, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory, Paul says. But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the, the things which God has prepared for those who love him. So, man, God has so much for us. But we have to come to him with a reverent and tender heart and a teachable heart. And God will open up to us, open our mind and our hearts. Verse 10 says, but God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things. Yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the deep things of, uh, of man except the spirit of man, which is in him. Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit of Him who is from God, speaking of Jesus, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we speak not in the words of man's wisdom, which man teaches, but which is from the Holy Spirit, which he teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can they know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So, you know, so God here tells us that he will open up our minds. He will minister to our hearts. He will show us great and mighty things we don't know. He will do a work of his spirit in us. But we have to be humble and teachable. And love his ways. But here in verse 7 of Proverbs chapter 14, it says, Go from the presence of a foolish man when you do not perceive in him the lips of knowledge. In other words, don't contend with unreasonable people. You know, there's some times where you, where you want to get a point across. You want to tell them about Jesus, but they just don't want to hear. You know, you just, they don't want to reason. And that's okay. That's okay. Don't contend with unreasonable people. Verse 8 through 9 says, The wisdom of the prudent is to understand his way, but the folly of fools is deceit. Fools mock at sin, but among the upright there is favor. So the Bible tells us to be prudent. And be prudent, the Bible teaches. It teaches us that we are to be sensible. That's what prudent means, to be sensible, uh, no-nonsense people, reasonable and discerning, crafty, but not in an evil way, in a godly way. Jesus was crafty, you know. You know, they tried to trap him with a lot of questions, but he was crafty in a godly way. He knew how to maneuver in a conversation. He was smart. But here it says... The folly of fools is deceit. You see, fools, according to the Bible, are self-deceived. They might be having fun for the moment, 
but eventually they're going to fall. You might be having fun for a moment, but eventually you're going to fall. The Bible teaches. But among those who are upright, there is favor. Why? Why does a Christian have favor? Because they're so great? No. That's not, that's not it. You're not that great, okay? It's because of your relationship with God, okay? We're saved by faith, that not of ourselves. It is a gift of God. At least any of us should boast. We can't boast. We're not that good. We need Christ. We need to change. The Christian today, as he did when he was first saved, still needs to change. We still battle with sin. We still stumble. We're not perfect. But we get favor because of our relationship with God. Luke chapter 2 and verse 52. And Jesus, it says, grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Why did Jesus grow in favor with God and man? Because the scriptures tell us he always did those things that please the Father. And that's the way we should live. I should do the things that please my Father. And I will reap the benefits of the relationship with God. Not because, you know, even my kids, my kids reap the benefits of their Father, not because they're so great. It's because they're my kids. And they have a relationship with me. And there's no hindering factors or there's no uh, sin or things that are separating them from benefiting from my relationship with them. But verse 10 says, The heart knows its own bitterness and a stranger does not share its joy. So each of us knows what's, what bitterness we carry. Each of us knows what bitterness we carry inwardly. And God knows. God knows. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 7 says, A satisfied soul loathes the honeycomb, but a hungry soul, even bitter things, uh, a bitter th- every bitter thing is sweet. You know, God can make bitter things sweet. He could heal marriages. He could restore lives. I've seen him out of just out of the trash pull people. I know. I was one of them. You know, I remember dumpster diving, you know, not long, over 20 years ago, and just just where I was. And just the bitterness of of what I I put my wife through uh, during a time in our marriage. And, And God is able to make things sweet. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He knows the bitterness that we have. But even, just even think of Jesus, okay, going to the cross. That, that seemed like a very bitter thing, a very dark thing, a very troublesome thing. But Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You see the cross was very bad. Dealing with our sin is very bad. 
But the resurrection is so beautiful. Just like a restored life. You know, I might be uh, in a bitter situation or a, a, a situation that seems like a loss. Like, man, there's no hope. But that's what the cross seemed like. It seemed like a place of no hope. As they wept at the cross, but they, the resurrection. And two, with our lives, two, we can experience the power of the resurrection in our lives personally. We just simply have to humbly come to the Lord. And He will minister to those areas in our hearts. And then we could partake of the joy of a restored life in Christ. But verse 11 says the house of the wicked will be overthrown, but the tent of the upright will flourish. The house of the wicked will be overthrown, but the tent of the upright will flourish. First thing we see here is this world is a home for the non-believer. This world is a home for the non-believer. But soon it will be overthrown and destroyed. Well, how do I know this? Jesus said this. It will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's going to melt away with fervent heat, the Bible teaches. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, judgment will come. And this world will be destroyed. This world is a home for the non-believer. And it will soon be overthrown and destroyed. But that's why Jesus came. So that we could have hope. In what he's provided. A place for us in Revel and in John chapter 14 verse 6. You guys know the scriptures. I go and prepare a place for you. That where I am you may be also. And the way you know. And, and they said what way? And Jesus said. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We simply need to humble ourselves. Because this place will be destroyed one day. But in this world, to the Christian, this world is only a tent. It's a temporary dwelling place for the believer. This is a temporary place. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 even likens our bodies to a tent. It's temporary. This is temporary. This is not our home. The government's not perfect because the government isn't our, isn't our Lord. Isn't who we give an account to. We give an account. A Christian gives account to a higher authority and that is God. We got to give an account. So this world and these bodies are temporary. A dwelling place for the believer. It's a tent for the upright here will flourish. Is speaking about a blossoming. Just think, you know, of a blossoming of something that when it's in flu bloom, it becomes something spectacular. That's the Christian life. You know, we're, we're here and when we go to heaven, we're going to be in full bloom. Beautiful. So we are in these temporary bodies. But here in verse 12, it closes with, there is a way that seems right to man, but in the end is the way of death. You see, we don't live by what seems right in man's eyes. Why? Because man is always changing. 
Man is always changing. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 9, he says, there is nothing new under the sun. You know, I went to Israel, we've been to Israel a couple of times, and, you know, when you go to Israel, they have these things, what are called tells. They're, they're mounds. And these tells, they have levels. And so what they do is they excavate and layer by layer, and you'll see every, every time a civilization comes in and they destroy the culture, they don't, they don't rebuild on they, they just cover it up and they build over it. And then another civilization comes in, destroys them, and then they, they cover it up, they build over it and build over it and build over it and build over it. And underneath these towels, there is wicked idols under there where people gave their children to Moloch. And these were considered God's people. And they were giving their children to the fire for pleasure. Their children were inconvenienced. They were sacrificing their children to God. And God will wipe them out. And, and we know what? Uh, this world hasn't changed. It's just in a, it's in, it's just in a new package. It's in a, a new package. Solomon said there's nothing under, nothing new under the sun. So the progressives think that they're changing things or achieving or changing morality, and it's getting better for society. It's not. Nothing's new under the sun. In the book of Leviticus, it talks about wickedness in the people during that time, before God wiped them out. Why did he wipe them out? Because they were so wicked. They were doing very perverted things. You think things are perverted now? Wait in another five years. You know, look back five years ago. What was socially acceptable now? And we're just like, whoa. You can't even understand what's going to happen in the next five years if Jesus tarries. How wicked and what is socially acceptable. Anything goes. Anything goes. Right now, people say, well, that's okay. Really? You know, somebody said, you know, uh, we were talking the other day ab about morality things. And it, yeah, um, prostitution, man, it should be legal. It's cool. It's cool. Really? Do you think this is okay? Do you think incest is okay? Because it's coming. Anything goes. You know, we haven't seen nothing yet. And these civilizations back in, in history, they were doing the same things. Why? How do we know? The Bible addresses it. These are the things that were taking place. People's hearts were getting wicked. So it's just done under a different wrapper. See, immoral societies lay under the rubble of history. The towels. They tell us what people were doing, and how wicked they were. They're just a reminder to us that where they are, one day we will be. That's how wicked this place is, unless we repent. You know, we're, pr we're praying for revival. We need to pray for repentance, a transformation in our country, because the way we're going, man, God, you know, he should wipe us out. Why? Because look at the civilizations back in the Bible 
who were so wicked that it had to be destroyed. How much more should we? And I'll close with Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 21. Paul addressing the church. Paul addressing the church. He said, See then, speaking to the church, see then that you walk circumspectly. And that word is vigilantly, guarded, watchfully. Watch, watch yourself. Be guarded. Be careful. Walk circumspectly. And he says, not as fools, but, of, but as wise. See, God's word tells us to be wise. And then it says, redeem the time because their days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand the will of the, what the will of the Lord is. That's, we need to understand what the will of the Lord is. How are we going to understand the will of the Lord if we're not in the word? We need to be in the word. And then the word says, do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, which is corrupt and immoral according to God. Don't be drunk with wine according to God. But he says, be filled with the spirit because people had problems with that at that time. And they do today. But Jesus is Speaking of something better, the, the word is speaking of something better, but be filled with the Spirit. And speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, and always giving thanks for all things that to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of and having a reverence among each other. Having reverence before God. But we need to pray as a, as a people, as people of God. Pray that we would redeem the time. Because the days are getting evil and they are getting darker. To redeem means to make wise or sacred use of every opportunity. Make wise and a sacred use of every opportunity. Every day is precious. Seek the Lord. Ask for wisdom. Ask for guidance. Ask for the work of your Holy Spirit in your life. That you may be His vessel. That He would do a work of His Spirit in you and that He would use you. Man, our God is, is so awesome and, and He has so much for each of us. But we just simply have to recognize where we're at. And desire more of him. Because he, he wants. He's like this with his outstretched hands. If you read Proverbs chapter 1. You know God is saying. Here I'm giving you all this. I want to give you all this. I want to. Here's my hand. Just take what I have. And so I'll, I'll give you freely. To him who asks. But it says in Proverbs uh, chapter 1 and verse 24 that they rejected God and his counsel. And how sad. So let's pray for our hearts that nothing would distract us. That we would redeem the time. That we would be wise. That we would be humble. And that we would seek the Lord. And that he would minister to our hearts. Let's pray. Father, we love you and I thank you for your word.
Father, there's many picturesque things, Lord, many things that you're dealing with each one of our hearts, Lord. We, we pray for a, a wise and understanding heart. Help us to live in such a way according to your word, Lord. Father, do a work of your spirit in my brothers and my sisters, my brothers and sisters at home. Father, each one of us, Lord, we pray, Father, for an outpouring of your spirit, Lord, that you would minister to each individual heart as you know what's going in in their minds. You know what they're going through. You know what they're struggling with. You know everything that they need. And Father, we thank you for being a gracious God who has an outstanding hand. You're not willing that any should perish, but all would come to repentance and faith, that all would be partakers of your goodness, partakers of your holiness, partakers of the miraculous healing power and transformation that you do in each one of our lives. Lord, we pray, Lord, that you'd have your way. We pray, Lord, that as, as a people, that we would simply say, Lord, touch my heart. Forgive me of my sins. Restore me. Cleanse me and wash me. Help me to be wise. Help me to redeem the time. Help me not to be like the world. Help me to receive all that you have for me. And Father, help me to walk in a way that pleases you in all things, Lord, so that I may gain favor with you and with those around me. So, Father, do a work of your spirit in my brothers and my sisters tonight, Lord. Lord, as we pr we sing that song, Lord, have your way in us, Lord. We pray, Father, that you would pour out your spirit, that we would be tenderhearted, and that we would be witnesses of the work of your spirit in each one of our hearts. And we pray in Jesus name. Amen. All right. Well, Sal's going to lead us in a, in a song, but if you,